0: Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Life on this earth is marked by fear. In a broken world, a world that's not the way it's supposed to be, There is always something to be afraid of. Should we doubt this, all we need to do is turn on the news, and we'll be quickly reminded of all the reasons we should be afraid. While few of any of us here today, I hope, I pray, may be experiencing debilitating dread like terror, it's still worth noting ordinary things like worry, stress, anxiety, all have their roots in fear. Fear can be a powerful motivator, if not necessarily a good one. Fear causes us to stay tuned and not touch that dial so we can be forewarned, so we can be ready, as ready as we can be, when the anticipated nightmare scenario becomes our reality. Fear drives us to vote for that candidate, the one who promises to keep us safe and secure from all the bad things that can happen to us, that will happen to us if we don't elect them. Fear leads us to stockpile and hoard rather than donate and share. Fear leads us to shield and arm ourselves in defense of what's coming rather than reach out and help others who might be in need here and now. And while we consciously or unconsciously live in a (laughs) state... I'm hearing myself and it's freaking me out. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't mean to call that out. I just got me for a second. <laughs> Sorry. Reset. Okay. <laughs> and while we tend consciously or unconsciously to live in a state of fear, and some of us probably know this, do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible is? It's not love one another. It's not love God. It's not do unto others. It's not be holy as God is holy. Some of you are already saying it. The most frequent command in all of Scripture is some variation of this. Do not be afraid today as we continue our new sermon series titled in light of all this jesus's last words on earth as we look at some of the things jesus said on the other side of the cross before he ascended into heaven we will hear christ utter these very words do not be afraid and as we'll discover this word of encouragement This call not to fear that Jesus repeats to us, not just here, but many times, becomes especially meaningful, however, because of his resurrection. If your Bibles are open, follow along or look on the screen and follow along or just listen as we hear from, again, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, starting in verse 1. It reads, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. Be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, as you probably noticed, we return to a moment that we visited only two weeks ago on Easter Sunday. But if you're paying careful attention, this time, instead of looking at it from the angle of Mark's gospel, which is what we did on Easter Sunday, we're reviewing it from Matthew's perspective. And in doing this, we become privy to a few details that we couldn't see before. And one of the things, I think, when you look at Matthew's version, that you immediately recognize is how palpable the presence of fear is at the start of this encounter. A deep sense of foreboding initially overshadows the whole scene. For example, and this requires, if you still have your Bibles open, you can look or you can just trust me on this. From Matthew, we learn there were armed guards posted at the sealed entrance to Jesus' tomb. We, we heard that. But if you go back a chapter, you discover fear was the motivation behind this action. You see, in the aftermath of their wrongful conviction of Jesus, the religious leaders, afraid the disciples would steal the body, Christ's body, and proclaim his resurrection, convinced Pilate to send reinforcements to guard the tomb. And I don't know about you, but it's not hard to imagine that a pair of Roman centurions for a pair of Roman centurions staying alert at the grave of a dead man probably seemed like a rather boring job assignment. But as we heard, soon what appeared mundane becomes terrifying as the foundations of the earth begin to quake violently and an angel of the Lord appears like a flash of lightning before them and subsequently rolls back the stone sealing the tomb. In fact, Matthew lets us, on, lets, us, lets us in on exactly how scary it all was when he records, were you hearing it? The guards were so afraid, they shook and became like dead men. And these Roman centurions, by the way, weren't alone in being completely freaked out. Two women, two Marys, two female followers of Jesus arose early in the morning, the day after the Sabbath, and headed to the tomb to properly prepare Christ's body for burial. And you can imagine these two women were likely on edge as once in sight of the tomb. Can you imagine it? They noticed two Roman soldiers guarding the entrance. Would they be allowed to tend Jesus' body? Would they get into trouble, possibly arrested by these soldiers, for coming to the grave and attempting to do so? But these initial apprehensions, probably of these women, soon become eclipsed by the shocking turn of events that they witness along with the Roman centurions. That these women, these two Marys, must have looked absolutely terrified is obvious because they're told two times not to be afraid. First by the angel of the Lord, and then once again by the resurrected Jesus himself. Now, I don't know about you, but who wouldn't have been afraid in the middle of all that? Who would not have been quaking? And with this scene in in frame before us, I want us to pull back and reflect on this most repeated command in all of Scripture. This most repeated command that we find here. This most repeated command that by some counts is repeated in some variation or form 365 times in the Bible. Interestingly, once for every day of the year. This most repeated command of do not be afraid. And the obvious question, for me at least, is is, does the command do not be afraid mean we should have no fear at all? Now, initially when we ask that question, it might be tempting or desirable to answer yes. I don't know if you were paying attention, but the hymn that we started with suggested that's exactly the case. And we may be tempted to say, yes, that Jesus' command, do not be afraid, means that God desires that there be no fear in our lives at all. But truthfully, the answer is no. God does not seek to eliminate all of our fear. I need to st- stop and think about this for a second. Fear in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Fear is not a vice or a virtue. Fear is simply a state of mind or a state of being. If you step back and think about it, fear is a God-given emotion. One of many emotions with which our creator has endowed us as a means of us making our way in this life, in this world. But there's a difference, and this is it. There's a difference between healthy and unhealthy fear. There's a difference between healthy and unhealthy fear. Healthy, God-given fear exists to protect us from harm. Healthy, God-given fear cautions us about possible threats and necessary boundaries that we ought to respect for our own well-being and the well-being of others. For example, if a bee lands on us, we have every reason to experience some fear, especially if we are allergic to bee stings. Likewise, as we experience the heat and smoke of a fire, fear is a cautioning, orienting response, one that we ought to respect to ensure we don't get burned. Now, while the feeling of healthy fear may be unpleasant, again, it serves as a helpful alarm when there may be danger or trouble ahead so that we respond appropriately in alerting us to potential challenges and obstacles before us, healthy, God-given fear prevents us from blindly jumping into every situation or making rash decisions. Rather than remaining stuck or even paralyzed by adversity, healthy, God-given fear spurs us to find strength in wisdom, to grow and mature in learning how to adapt and become resilient. But by contrast, unhealthy fear is not God-given. Unhealthy fear is not God-given. Unhealthy fear derives from our brokenness, our separation from God. Unhealthy fear comes from our attempt to navigate life on our own, to navigate life apart from the wisdom, the guidance, the empowerment of our Creator. You might say that unhealthy fear emerges from the darker side of the mantra, I'm my own boss. I'm in charge of my life. Unhealthy fear emerges from that mantra because living on one's own terms isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Ultimately, it's a more lonely and isolated existence because living by to each his own only widens the distance between us. Being solely independent, something that many of us really pride ourselves on. Being solely independent, if you push it to its limit, being solely independent, if that's what it's all about, ultimately being solely independent means it's every person for themselves. And when it's every person for themselves, instead of perceiving plenty and abundance, instead of perceiving there being more than enough for all, we begin to view the world in terms of scarcity and lack. We develop the unhealthy fear of being left out, of falling behind, of never having enough, of fighting to survive or risk losing whatever we have. Unhealthy fear gives birth to constant anxiety and insecurity that rather than leading us to admit our helplessness and need for God, it actually drives us even harder to try and be control, in control, to try to take control of our lives. But as we continue to ignore and deny the limits of what we can control, as we just keep running and hiding from the reality of the unknown, of what is uncertain, of what is unpredictable, of what is beyond our comprehension, unhealthy fear causes our imaginations to run wild. Wild. Unhealthy fear results in our becoming fixated on all kinds of irrational speculation and conspiracy theories. And so we begin to look for someone to blame for our insecurity and discontent rather than recognize and confess the source of our unhealthy fears. Unhealthy fear, instead of turning us toward God, turns us against each other. And by God, the last couple of years have shown us that. Unhealthy fear bitterly whispers to us, it's us against them. Unhealthy fear leaves us vulnerable to exploitation and manipulation. Unhealthy fear spurs us to buy that product, vote for that candidate, that product, that candidate, whatever, to buy it, to vote for it, to go for it, even as what promises to take away our fears just keeps stoking them and profiting off of them. Unhealthy fear does not stem from the still, small voice of God, the Word and the Spirit of truth. Unhealthy fear stems from the competing messages and dissonance of a broken world and all the noise and conflict within our divided selves. Unhealthy fear does not protect us. Unhealthy fear does not bring us peace. It does not build us up. Unhealthy fear debilitates. It incapacitates us incapacitates us, even to the point of overtaking our lives, cutting us off at times from relationships. And again, we've seen that in this last year too, how much of relationships have been cut off based on fear. We live at a time where we can't even talk to each other anymore because we are so afraid, afraid of each other. Unhealthy fear debilitates and incapacitates us to the point that it eventually just leaves us bent over constantly looking down, head down, anxious and depressed, unable to function, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's no way to live, people. That's no way to live. It's certainly not the life that God intends for humanity. To put this another way, and better in the context of the gospel, Unhealthy fear is Good Friday fear. Unhealthy fear is Good Friday fear. Rooted in our frustration and disquiet and building as a result of our continued anxiety and distress until it ultimately rears its ugly head through our despair and paranoia, Good Friday fear is the unhealthy fear that brings out the very worst in our humanity, where we look for a scapegoat, for someone to blame rather than face our true fears. It is Good Friday fear, unhealthy fear, fear not of God that drives our betrayal, our denial, our accusation against, our condemnation, and finally our abandonment of Christ on the cross. Good Friday fear is the unhealthy fear that culminates in crucifixion. The unhealthy fear that leads us to try and kill and destroy what we cannot control and understand. And again, step back and think about how often we are hearing that. We talk of cancel culture. We talk of other people that that is fundamentally what is driving it. It's the fear that drives us to kill and destroy what we cannot understand. I have literally in conversations have had people say to me, This world would be such a better place, it would be a good place if we could just get rid of those people. Who are those people for you? And the semblances of this fear that we're talking about, this Good Friday fear, they still linger even after Jesus' body is taken down from the cross and placed in the tomb. We've talked about this, but we witness this kind of unhealthy fear in the efforts of the religious leaders who remain fixated on maintaining control by ensuring that Jesus remains dead and buried. We witness such unhealthy fear in the terrified response of the Roman soldiers who quickly find themselves losing control of what they presumed would probably be an easy gig of sealing and guarding the grave of a dead man. I want you to consider the irony of the response of the Roman centurions. They are so frightened that they quake like dead men before the one who has resurrected and defeated death itself. Please appreciate the irony of that. They're not lifting up their hands and saying, Hallelujah! They're going, Oh my God. And yes, indeed. Oh my God. We even see this the lingering presence of Good Friday fear begin to take hold of the two Marys. As upon coming upon the tomb, everything they expected and thought they knew suddenly seems out of control. But when first the angel, and then Jesus himself turn... To the women and command them, do not be afraid. This is not a call for them to live without fear. It's a sacred summons, it's a holy encouragement to leave behind, to be set free from all the unhealthy fear that burdens us, that ultimately makes us the walking dead rather than a people of the resurrection. Now, sometimes when I prepare these messages, I do a test run on people. Generally, it's my wife. That doesn't surprise you. And this is the point where my wife said, you know, um, you're really kind of freaking me out. Uh, At some point, are you going to share some good news? And maybe you're going, yeah, she's right. You should listen to your wife. If you're struggling to hear good news in all of this, here it is. Here's the good news. There is, in fact, Good Friday fear, but there is also Easter fear. Easter fear is different. Easter fear is the shock and awe of the unimagined and the unexpected. Easter fear is the wonder and amazement at the rise of something out of nothing, at the dawn of the impossible becoming possible. At the resurrection of hope, where there had only been hopelessness. Whereas Good Friday fear is the fear that ends in death, Easter fear is the birthplace of new life beyond death. Unlike Good Friday fear, Easter fear is not unhealthy fear rooted in despair. Easter fear is rooted in faith. Faith. Faith that before what we do not control before what we struggle to understand, before what we cannot know, faith that our Creator is in control, that our God understands, that the Lord knows, that the Lord holds the future, our future in His hands, and that our future is good. Our future is for our good, that the best is yet to come. Now, in saying all this, let me be clear, Easter fear is still scary. Easter fear is still scary. It's scary because new creation is disorienting. Having our world turned upside down, starting over is terrifying. Even when we are relieved of the pressure and expectation of fixing and improving ourselves, right? Even when we're relieved of the pressure and expectation that it's all about fixing and improving ourselves, which we can't, even when we're relieved of that pressure and expectation, and instead we're extended the promise, the power to be transformed by God, we still fear change. There is a great temptation and a falsely perceived sense of safety in sticking with what's familiar. I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you're like the average person, you stick with what's familiar. Hence, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Hence, it's just the way I am. It's just how God made me. There's great temptation and perceived, falsely perceived sense of safety in sticking with what's familiar. Even if it's the darkness of the devil we know. Even if it is the suffering, the abuse, the pain and even the death that we lament, but to which we've grown accustomed. Have there been periods in your life where you've stayed in a situation that was toxic, unhealthy? Are you now in a situation that is more dead than alive because you are scared of something possibly worse? Easter fear is scary because, again, new creation, new life, are born out of death. It's not an accident. I don't know if you ever thought about this. It's not an accident the resurrection takes place in a graveyard. It's not an accident because this is a sobering reminder that left to ourselves, apart from God, nursing our unhealthy fears, rather than facing our God-given fears, every one of us will eventually retreat to the dust from which we came to step into a new creation, to rise from the ashes and live with Christ, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our sense of control, control of outcomes. We have to die to our presumption of understanding, what we think we know, yielding before the revelation that God's ways are not our ways. We have to be willing to face and embrace the unknown, no longer blazing our trail in this world, but following the one who knows the future, the one who has the words of life and death in his hands. We have to follow Jesus. The reason why Jesus says do not be afraid is because having just died, Jesus knows there is no resurrection without death. Jesus understands the reality of the fear that comes with resurrection, with becoming a new creation. Because Easter fear strips away all the pretense. It strips away all the excuses. It strips away all the lies. It strips away all the self-justifications that we try to hide behind, that we do hide behind every single day. Easter fear forces us to face our regrets, to acknowledge our faults, to confess our addictions, to own our brokenness, rather than rationalizing them, rather than blaming someone else. But again, Easter fear is not about despair. It's not about piling on guilt and shame. Easter fear, again, hear it. This is the gospel. Easter fear is about the surprising, astonishing discovery that what appears to be our end, What looks like our epitaph, the last word in our story, becomes, thanks to Jesus, merely the prologue to a new beginning. A better eternal tomorrow where eventually we will indeed live happily ever after. And that ain't no fairy tale. Notice for the two Marys. Did you catch this? Notice for the two Marys, as they rush from the tomb, Notice how their response to resurrection that began as fear alone becomes on the other side of Jesus' presence and words to them, it becomes, did you catch this? Fear filled with joy. Now, that's odd because we usually view fear and joy as contradictory, as mutually exclusive to each other. But you see, Easter fear, the fear born of new life, new possibilities, second chances, restored relationships. Easter fear is distinctive in that as scary as it is, it also brings great joy. Step back and think about this another way. If death is all there is, if that's how we're living, if death is all there is, if death is all we have to look forward to, then let's ask ourselves, if death is all there is, if death is all we have to look forward to, then why bother? Why torture ourselves by pursuing and cultivating friendships? Building community, graduating from school, getting married, having children, starting a family. If in the end we lose all of that, if in the end none of it endures, then all our Good Friday fears are realized. And we should think twice about pursuing and cultivating such things. But Easter fear, The risk, the intimidation of staring into the unknown of a new creation. The risk and intimidation of a potential friendship. The journey towards a degree. The offering of one's hand in marriage. The birth of a child. Easter fear in staring into the risk and intimidation of the unknown. Easter fear can also bring joy because thanks to the reality of an empty tomb, death and loss are never the last word in such relationships. The relationships, the truth, and the love that we cultivate together in and through Christ endures forever. I want you to hear me clearly on this. The gift of resurrection doesn't simply answer or end all our problems. That's not what I'm saying. The gift of resurrection doesn't remove us from this life's hardships, this life's limitations, this life's challenges, but the gift of Easter, the living presence of Christ with and for us enables us to rise beyond those hardships, beyond those limitations, beyond those challenges. Thanks to Jesus coming back from the dead, we have the assurance and redempt- of redemption and reconciliation in whatever God creates in and through our lives that whatever it is, God can redeem it. God can reconcile it. We can have the joyful fear born of a resurrection that changes everything, that can transform every death, every death we ever experience into the possibility of something new in Christ. (sighs) Beloved, you've heard a lot of talk. Now it's time for reflection probably want me to end right now. Beloved, where are our fears today? Where are our, our unhealthy fears? Fears not from God. Fears rooted in despair. Fears divorced from any possibility of joy. Is it our fear of our past that still haunts us? Some of you are here today I haven't seen in a while, and I believe you're here because of this message. And some of you are here, you were here last week, and I still believe you're here because of this message. (laughs) Is it the fear of our past that still haunts us? You know? The unrelenting memory of some failure, some grave error, or perhaps even multiple wrongs we committed for which we still carry guilt and the shame or is that gnawing fear an ever present fear for you today something that's staring you in the face right now are we living in fear of the opinion of others are we afraid of letting someone down are we worried about being able to hold things together and not messing up something good in our lives right now Are we shrinking back, frightened from something deep down we know we are being called to do or confront? What are we afraid of right here, right now? What is that pestering, unhealthy fear that continues to strike us over and over and over again no matter how much someone tells us or we try to tell ourselves we're okay, it's going to be okay? Or maybe we sit here and the unhealthy fear we wrestle with is our dread about the future. Is it an unknown tomorrow that makes us quake and shudder? Are we anticipating dark roads ahead and finding ourselves anxious as to whether we will have the strength to persevere? Is it the fear of losing someone? Is it the fear of being alone? Is it the fear of something terrible happening to us happening to this nation happening to this world whatever it is whatever unhealthy fear we're carrying whatever unhealthy fear we're carrying that is not of Easter the resurrected Christ is calling us not to be afraid As he rolls away the stone of whatever unhealthy, soul-crushing, crucifying fear that blocks our way, Jesus is redirecting our vantage point beyond the walls of whatever tomb we find ourselves in. He's directing our vantage point to looking into the promise of a doorway through death. He's calling us to look and follow him through the opening of a doorway through death and to live into the promise of a new life, a better life, an everlasting life beyond the horizon of what we know and control, beyond the horizon of even all that we can imagine or hope for. If for you today, the unhealthy fear you are carrying is a fear of the past, a fear of the past that refuses to let go, Jesus beckons you not to be afraid. As you look back to where you were, as you look back to where you've been, as you look back to where you've come, he calls you to look at it all through the light of the resurrection. All the horrible things that have happened to you, all the terrible things you have done to yourself and to others have been put to rest and will remain behind you. Beloved, be not afraid, for there is not one thing in this life that promises death to us that has not been put to death on the cross with Jesus, that stays buried in the grave as Christ rises, that has been overcome by the victory of resurrection. For you today, if that unhealthy fear you carry is in, of, of this present moment, If this present moment something is scaring you to death, that is what's threatening you. Jesus again assures us, do not be afraid. Because the reality of an empty tomb means not just that Christ is risen, but that Christ is with us here and now, wherever we find ourselves today. Be not afraid, beloved. Because Easter means we can expect to be met by Jesus In the places and situations where we least expect to find him. For the two Marys, think about this, the last place they expected to meet the living Christ was on the other side of his tomb. But what about us? Where is the last place you expect to meet Jesus? Where is it? Is it the maddening isolation of a hospital room? Is it the painful silence of the funeral home? Is it in the throes of the chaos before you at work or at school? Is it in the ongoing restlessness and brokenness within your home? Beloved, hear this. No matter how far away we perceive we are from God or how distant it feels like God is from us, no matter how dark it is, no matter how the seas before us may rage and the winds around us may howl and the shadow of death seems to overtake us, No matter what, Jesus is here. Jesus is there. Jesus is with and for us, carrying us through every valley and ensuring we make it to the other side. And for those of you who have no fear of the past, who have no fear in this present moment, for those of you whose fear, your unhealthy fear, is that of the future. It's tomorrow that makes us anxious the frightening maw of the unknown that just seems to get deeper and wider before us, if it's an unhealthy fear of the future, Jesus whispers to you too, not to be afraid about whatever trouble tomorrow may bring. Because again, whatever comes next, Jesus will be there too, no matter what. Something worth noticing Is whenever Jesus echoes that most repeated command of Scripture, be not afraid, something to notice. He usually immediately follows that directive with this promise, for I am with you. Beloved, our future is secure in Christ because Jesus' resurrection is again more than a one and done historical event. Jesus' resurrection is in fact the continually rising and expanding wave of the dawn of the kingdom of God. Resurrection, in other words, isn't just what God has done. It's what God is still doing. Beloved, let us not be afraid because bringing life from death, possibility from failure, second chances from lost causes, is the dynamic. It's the ongoing nature and work of the God we meet in Jesus Christ. There is nothing, hear this, there is nothing we can do that is so set in stone that God cannot work it for our good. There is nothing. There is nothing we can do. And I love that we had the creed of conviction. You don't think that was a coincidence, do you? And I didn't plan it, I just randomly put it there, but God knew it because there is nothing we can do, we declared it by faith, that can separate us from the perfect love of Christ. A love that, having already proved its invincibility in conquering the grave, is assured, this love is assured to be stronger than any future weapon forged against it, any power of hell or scheme of man. My friends, and you are, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, be not afraid because God is not done yet. In Christ, through the word and the spirit of forgiveness and grace, God continues to lead and move us forward into new life and new possibilities. Whatever stands against us, be it a tomb of our own making, and boy, I've got a couple of those, or if it's the stone that someone else places in front of us to keep us in the grave, and I've got my share of those too, whatever it is, that is keeping us from living the fullness and abundance of life for which God created and redeemed us, whatever stands against us, believe it. Follow this. Jesus will keep transforming our fears and making our joy complete. Because, beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.